Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I've often said that I think that evangelicalism fights against what Jesus wants to do because sometimes we want to put heavy burdens on people. We want to put heavy yokes on people. We want them to live the way we want them to live, not the way God wants them to live. I just want to, I just want to, I want to study the scriptures. I want to know what God wants from me. I'm not interested in any agenda you have for me. And you should just we want to live the way God wants to We never want to fall into the trap of judging others because they don't do or believe exactly the way we do. When we are united in salvation by grace through the one and only way, Jesus, that alone should unite us and keep us focused on being about our Father's business and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Today, part two of our message on Jesus' appointment with the Samaritan woman at the well out of John chapter 4. Here's Robert Furrow. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come down here to draw. She's still making fun of him. I want some of this living water so I'm not thirsty and so I don't have to come down here and get water. Now Jesus is about done with her snarkiness. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Notice all of it's gone. All of the sarcasm, all of the tension leaves this woman. The woman answered him, I have no husband. What happened to your cute little quippy answers that you were giving to Jesus? I have no husband, all of a sudden. And Jesus said to her, You have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. Thus you spoke truly. Jesus isn't coming down on her because of her sinful lifestyle. He's pointing out that he knows everything about her. And Jesus knows everything about us. And even though he knows every sin we've ever committed, everything we've done, we've ever been ashamed of, anything we've ever felt remorse over and would change if we could do it again, Jesus knows it all and still offers us eternal life and still loves us. And I'll remind you again of the compassion that he had on sinful people. A doctor doesn't come to the well, but he comes to those who are sick. And so Jesus said, I haven't come for the righteous, but I've come for the sinner. And if you see yourself in that category, maybe your life has even come undone because of sin in your life, or maybe your life has hit a major speed bump because of sin in your life, know that you are just the kind of person that Jesus loves and that Jesus wants to pour out his love on. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Suddenly she changes. All, all of a sudden now she gets spiritual. And even though she had been bound in sin and sin had taken advantage of her, that doesn't mean she's not responsible. I want to make sure that I'm careful with the wording. I just believe sin captures people and it's so strong that people get trapped by sin. And I think Jesus had compassion on people that were trapped by sin. And that might be you and me. Maybe if not now, at some point in our lives, we were trapped by that. And that Jesus, even though she has been oppressed by sin, she's still interested in spiritual things. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. It reminds me when I was on an airplane one time and I sat down next to a guy and we said hi, and then he's looking through a magazine. It was the airline magazine that was there. And he came across the picture in a girl with a bikini. And he held it up and goes, look at that. That's what I'm talking about. So I look at him like, okay. And uh, so I asked him, hey, what do you do? And he told me. Then out of almost just being polite, he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and he says, he says, praise God, I'm a Christian too. <laughs> I, uh, 
It just, and then we talk about spiritual things, by the way, the rest of the time. So this woman says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. He just told her about her own life that he knows. And um, she said, our fathers worship on Mount Gerizim. And the Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. This opens up an opportunity for Jesus to begin to talk down the worship of Mount Gerizim. It's wrong. It is, it is more of a cult than anything. They have hired priests and they are not doing things properly. And Jesus could easily go, let me tell you why what you do on Mount Gerizim is wrong. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't get caught up in the minutia of trying to get her to defend what she believes. Understand what I'm saying. Sometimes when we meet somebody who is perhaps a, a, a Mormon or an atheist or a Jehovah Witness or an agnostic, we attack what they believe, thinking that that's going to give us an inroads for them to get saved. They get defensive, and a lot of times that digs them in. They're now defensive over what they believe and they're not going to listen to what you're saying because you have attacked what they believe. We're, it's not that we're not to say that that is not the way. Atheism isn't the way. Agnosticism isn't the way. Cults aren't the way. It's just sometimes we get caught down in the minutia of telling people everything that they believe that is wrong. I'm not saying no one's got saved that way because God can do whatever God wants to do, right? And, and I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit might not lead you that way because I've always said the most important thing of evangelism is that you are led by the Holy Spirit, but as a basic principle, you don't want to put people on the defensive. You don't want to attack people. It's a basic principle in sales as well, but I really don't want to compare evangelism to sales because we're not trying to sell people something. But one of the things you learn when you're in sales is you don't put down things that people have or, 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 or even if it's something different than what you're selling, you promote your product over instead of attacking what they have and making them get defensive. Well, Jesus does the same thing. He doesn't do it. He corrects her. He, he gives her a little bit. In verse 21, he said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem that worship the Father you, in either place. I love that the way he comes back, he goes, the day is coming when this isn't going to be important. You guys are worshiping there on Mount Gerizim and we're in Jerusalem. The day's coming, it's not important. But then he says, you worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So, so he's honest with her. Look, what you're doing on, on Mount Gerizim, you don't know, you don't understand. But he didn't get caught up in the minutia of having to tell them everything. I've fallen into this trap before when I get visited by Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. I did a whole bunch of research on what Mormons believe. I did a whole bunch of research on what Jehovah Witnesses believe. And then when they would come to my door, I'd let them have it. And we would sit there and argue. Now, none of them ever got saved by doing that. I'm not saying it doesn't happen again. I've heard of people that get saved by these kind of things, but it doesn't work for me. It immediately turns it defensive. And, and I don't want them to be defensive. I want them to be open to what Christ is all about. And so Jesus then says, verse 25, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. The hour's coming when it's not about where you worship, it's about what's going on inside your heart. The temple in Jerusalem was doing things the right way biblically. They were following the Old Testament law, but their hearts were all messed up and they weren't serving God either. 
So you can do the right thing, but if you rely on it being the right thing and don't have a, 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 a spiritual relationship with Christ, it means nothing. If you're worshiping that in a way that is wrong, but you develop a right relationship with God, then sooner or later, God's going to bring you out of that. God's going to bring you to the truth because it's not only in spirit, it's in spirit and in truth. That you're sincere, that you're honest, that you say to God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to live the way that you want me to live. And Jesus himself said, if you are weary and if you are tired, come unto me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've often said that I think that evangelicalism fights against what Jesus wants to do because sometimes we want to put heavy burdens on people. We want to put heavy yokes on people. We want them to live the way we want them to live, not the way God wants them to live. I just want to, I want to study the scriptures. I want to know what God wants from me. I'm not interested in any agenda you have for me. And you should just want to live the way God wants you to live. You should want to know what I have to say as I'm teaching the Word of God about what He wants, but you should not be interested in any personal agendas I have. I don't want to lay any trip on you that doesn't come from God. God's trips are enough. I don't want to lay any heavy burdens on you. Jesus accused the Pharisees of that. You lay heavy burdens on men's back, but you don't help them lift it with one finger. I'm not interested in men's agendas I'm interested in what God says. So the day's coming when we will worship in spirit and in truth. We make things right between us and him. And it's not about whether or not you're Catholic or Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist or a Calvary Chapelite. It's about having a relationship with Christ. You're not going to get to heaven. And God say to you or, or the angel at the gate, what denomination were you? <laughs> God doesn't care. What matters is, are we worshiping him in spirit and in truth? Do you know Jesus Christ? For there is no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved, but the name Calvary Chapel. Isn't that just disgusting? Just even saying it? There's no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved, but the name Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. And that is it, no matter what. And so he says, the day's coming and God's looking for such who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God's, he didn't have a building down here. He did in the temple, but he didn't have any now. He's got us gathered together. And because he is spirit, we must worship him in spirit. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Now she reveals that she does believe the promises of the Old Testament. By the way, the Samaritans accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, but they rejected the rest of it, especially the prophets. The Samaritans didn't believe that the prophets had spoken from God at all, so they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. But from the first five books of the Old Testament, she deduced that the Messiah was coming, or they did, the Samaritans. They believed that a Messiah was coming. Whatever else was wrong in Mount Gerizim-ism or Samaritanism, they believed in the Messiah. And so she says, we hear the Messiah is going to come and who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus spoke to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the first time in the ministry of Jesus that he reveals to someone that he's the Messiah. And he does it to a Samaritan woman at a well. He does it to someone who's religiously different, politically different, 
that is a different gender when women were marginalized, all of them. He broke through all of those walls. Jesus went through Samaria so he could break through those walls and show it's not about what race you are. It's not about what religion you are. It's not about what politics you have. Because remember, the people in Samaria had a different politics. They didn't submit to the Sanhedrin. They had their own judges that ruled over them. They were politically different. And Jesus broke through all of those barriers to say, I who speak to you am he. And I would just say, let's take his example. Let's not allow all the differences that are out there today to divide us. Let's not make those differences darker. Let's not draw lines down that divide us from one another. Let's not let it divide us from our family. That you might get in, in a political argument with them and then when you start talking about Jesus, they don't want to hear anything about you. And you did it for what? For politics? When politics is of this world and this world is passing away and everything is passing away in it, including politics, including whatever your political views are, that's passing away. But he brings us the gospel and those things are forever. And so he says to her, I am he. And at that point, his disciples came back and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Do you see it there? In their culture, Jewish men didn't talk to women. They came back and they were like, he's talking to this woman. But uh, yet no one said, what do you seek to the woman? What do you see? What do you want? What are you here talking to Jesus for? And no one said, why are you talking to her? No one said to Jesus, why are you talking to her? We're not supposed to talk to women. See, that was their thing. We're not supposed to talk to them public. Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city. Her priorities had suddenly changed. She had met God and she came to get water when we come to Jesus, our priorities change. That which we are seeking to do, we suddenly lose interest in. She left the water pot and she went into the city and said to the men, come and see the man who told me all things I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the Christ? Then they went out from the city to come to him. See, not only did this woman of Samaria have a desire to know the Messiah, but so did the Samaritans themselves even though they were so looked down upon, even though Jewish people thought they could never be saved, Jesus went to the Samaritans and they come out to see him. Now he wants to talk to us a little bit about our own evangelism. He's given us an example of evangelism in the way he talked with this woman. And we'll talk about how we might be able to use some of those principles that he has in the closing. But now he talks to his disciples about them evangelizing. It says, verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him to eat. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat in which you do not know. It's more important for me that I would have shared with this woman and these people that are coming out here than for me to have food. What's the priority of your sharing your faith? What is the priority of you telling the people around you about Jesus? I realize it's hard. I realize now that when you're listening to me, you might write me off really quick. Oh no, here we go. He wants me to sit down next Thanksgiving dinner and in the middle of it say, does anybody here want to give their lives to Jesus? The Bible says that if you receive Jesus into your life, that you can become a child of God. Any of you family want to get saved? Raise your hands. Lift your hands up now. In fact, close your eyes, bow your heads. Lift your hands up now. I'm not saying that. You're going to see that Jesus isn't saying that either. 
See, sometimes we want to give the hard sell. I've heard people giving messages on evangelism who chew out people in the church for not evangelizing them and telling them that only 5% of people have ever asked somebody if they want to give their lives to Christ and what a shame that is and that ought not to be. I disagree. And I'll share with you why. And I think that Jesus disagrees as well. The statistic might be right. Maybe only 5% of us have ever asked anybody, do you want to be saved? But sharing our faith is so much more than the closing. Here I am back to a sales reference again. I got to get out of that. But it is so much more important than just closing the deal. The way we live our lives, the seeds we plant, the watering that we do as Christians to the family, friends, co-workers and acquaintances that are around us. They said, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Verse 34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's really where we'll be fulfilled and satisfied but Jesus says, the satisfaction I have is in doing the work that God's called me to do. Then he says to his disciples, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? So it's early summer. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look the fields for they are already white for the harvest. What was happening? It said in the meantime, his disciples were talking about food. What was happening? The men, maybe women, of Sychar were coming out to the well to see him. And as Jesus looked up in the fields and saw these people walking out to him, he said, behold, the fields are white for harvest. The white robes of the, the Samaritans. I don't even know that they got it yet. Samaritans are who we're supposed to minister to? The harvest is, is ready? I think we could say today that the harvest is ready. There are people who, who need to know Christ. There are people who want to know Christ. What we know is that we will be successful when we do the work of the church. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We're ambassadors for Christ. We are letters not written with ink, but God wrote on our lives. We live our lives in such a way that people see Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? All of those things are true. And so in verse 36, he says, he who reaps receives wages. The work that we do for the gospel of Christ we reap wages for it. Sometimes I feel like that's not quite fair. Like maybe God shouldn't pay me, right? It's like, why pay me, Lord, when I'm up here? Why, when I'm talking to people about giving their life to Christ and then they give their life to Christ, why do I receive a reward for it? Maybe I won't. Maybe I got the wrong motives and we were told that our, our motives are going to be tested. And maybe I, I won't. But Jesus says, when you are doing the work of the gospel, you're going to receive wages. He goes on to say, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Here he tells us that there's different parts of evangelism. There are those who are called to sow seeds and there are those who are called to reap. In another place, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Apollos watered, I planted, and God gave the increase so that he who waters is nothing he who plants is nothing, but it is God who does the work. It's God who's really doing the work. That takes all the pressure off of me. I don't have to run around going, I, I haven't gotten anybody saved. You don't know what you've watered and what you've sown, what you've planted. You don't know how you may have done all of the work. You've lived your life in front of your family and friends. You have planted seeds. You've watered those seeds. You've lived for Jesus during hard times. You've lived for Jesus during easy times. They come to church. I preach a 35-minute message. I ask them if they want to get saved. They raise their hand, and I think, what a great message. 
I had this great message and these people got saved. And I don't see all of the work that went before. And maybe you don't either. You think, oh, what a blessing Greg Glory or Billy Graham has in bringing people to Christ. But it's all the work that we are doing, planting, watering, living in front of people, knowing that we are called to represent Jesus as ambassadors to this world. And so one sows, another reaps. Verse 37, for this saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. We're, this is a team together. This is a team thing. It's like we're tag teaming. You know, you're, you're, you're planting seeds and you're tagging off to someone who's watering and then you're tagging off to someone who's harvesting. And we're all doing it for the kingdom of God and all of us receive our wages from that so that you don't have to be the person that says, you want to give your life to Jesus? Maybe you are, but you don't have to be. And if you haven't said that, it doesn't mean you haven't been doing the work. And so then he says, verse 39, look how powerful this gets. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word which the woman had testified. He told me all that I ever did. Many of the Samaritans believed. This wasn't an appointment with a Samaritan woman. I didn't name this message God's appointment with the Samaritan woman. I named it the Samaritan appointment because it was not just about that woman. That was the beginning. They come out and they believe because of her testimony. And maybe people believe because of your testimony. And then it says, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him and he stayed there two days. He lived with the Samaritans for two days. I guarantee you there's, there was not a Jewish rabbi or Pharisee or Sadducee who would have lived with these Samaritan people for two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Many more believed because they interacted with Jesus. See, we might be the first, we might be on the first line. We might be like the forerunner, like John the Baptist. And people see me, they see how we live for Christ. They see you, they see the way you live for Christ and they might come to Christ because of that. But eventually they're gonna say, now I believe not because of you, but because I've, I know him. I've heard him. I have this personal relationship with him. And that is the case for all of us. A couple of things that I love about this passage that I think are so significant. Jesus went out of his way to go to a marginalized people in every way and he broke through barriers. And, and, and we should not allow the barriers that divide us to remain. We should break through those barriers, know that these differences are of this world and are not of God, and that as long as we are watering and planting, we are doing what God wants us to do. And God will have plenty of us that are willing to ask people, you want to get saved? God, God will use that. And I always tell people, if you're not ready, count the cost. If you're not ready, don't do it. Some people are not ready to yet give their lives to Christ, and they shouldn't do it. I always tell people, if you don't want to, don't do it. You got to be ready. You got to be willing to surrender it all. And if that's you, I want to give you a chance before we go. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. It is rich. It is deep. It is powerful. You have given us an example of evangelism as you talk to this woman at the well. We thank you that you didn't get caught up in the minutia of what was wrong with the worship on Mount Gerizim when you could have 
and I pray that we wouldn't get caught up in the minutia of things that maybe put people on the defensive and that we, we give our lives to you, Lord. Open doors. We are yours. We want to be used by you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.